the on button. All right, we made it. Step one. Well, good morning. My name is Russ Bingham, the uh, family pastor here at Christ Church who doesn't know how to turn on a microphone. And uh, usually this time, um, uh, being the family pastor, I get to go to Kids Rock, um, which happens in our second service. Uh, I get to hang out with our kindergarten through uh, fifth graders. Um, but I'm excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, is Randy here? Is Randy back? Are they on the way back? He was suffering at the beach this week, uh, as were many others. Anybody else go to the, uh, go to the beach on the family uh, beach trip? Welcome back. Anybody get sunburn? Um, okay. You did? One hand? Good. Um, well, I, uh, I'm excited to be here. This is, uh, this is my first opportunity to preach. I've done a couple of uh, Christmas Eve services, but this is my first time to be here this morning uh, to be able to deliver a message. And the, uh, the title of that message is, Everything is Different Now. Everything is different now. And, and centers around this idea, uh, as I was preparing to share, it centers around this idea um, that uh, the old is gone and the new has come. And so you're going to need Bibles for that this morning because it's a very theological uh, hot topic. Uh, so if you need a Bible, raise your hand and our guys will be happy to give you one. So the idea that the old is gone and the new has come, and, and really what that kind of talks about is what was is no longer something new uh, has come. For example, yesterday... the uh, Memphis, University of Memphis, I want to say Memphis State, but I can't because they're 6-0. They beat the Ole Miss Rebels. Holy moly. Everything is indeed different now. Am I right? Everything is indeed different now. Um, they, uh, they, the Ole Miss uh, Rebels went down to now the bowl-eligible Memphis Tigers. So congratulations to all you Tiger fans. Um, as a Tennessee fan, we hope we just get to six wins. Um, so for me, everything is different now, too. Uh, this, past, uh, this past Friday night, um, about a week and a half ago now, um, eight or nine days, Amy, uh, we, Amy and I went to sleep. We went to bed, and uh, just a, a normal, normal family of five, as normal as, uh, you know, uh, Amy with a crazy husband like me and, and three kids under the age of six can be, uh, we went to sleep. Just, uh, just a normal day. And she woke me up the next morning at uh, 1230 uh, and um, said, we have to go to the hospital. And uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife, uh, we've just had uh, our new baby. And uh, so uh, a couple weeks, or I guess last week, she said, we have to go to the hospital. And I said, well, let's go. And from that moment forward, everything was going to be different for me as well. Uh, in fact, um, she woke me up. And uh, if you've been there, it's a very startling uh, way to wake up, number one. And then I just go into like mission mode, you know, like I get the bags that we packed, I get stuff in the car, and then I realize Amy's still upstairs. So uh, we make some phone calls, we, we get some friends to come over and hang out with the, the kids while we head to the hospital. And um, we get, uh, we get Amy downstairs, we get her in the car, and we head to the hospital, and um, we leave the neighborhood, I make a right onto Highway 70, we get on uh, to 385, the highway there, then we get on the interstate, and before I know it, we're at Walnut Grove, headed to Baptist East. And when I got off the interstate, the lights are flashing yellow. And so that's different, right? Um, you don't want the red lights. I'm excited. Why? Because as a father having a, a newborn baby, I get to run red lights. And all the lights were flashing. I didn't get to run a single light. I told Amy, we're going to have to have number five now just for that reason. For the reason to have another baby. No, I'm just kidding, sweetheart. Um, she... Uh, uh, she did not like that. She looked at me like I was crazy. Um, but I, I'll tell you, um, we got to the hospital. Everything went great. 
Um, they got through triage pretty quick. And uh, why? Because as a pregnant uh, woman, she was excited about um, getting that epidural. Uh, let's get that epidural in very quick. And for whatever reason, when she got the fluids, it wasn't going fast enough. Um, we got through triage really quick. Um, we got into our room, and they hooked her up with the IV and the, and the fluids, but it wasn't going quick enough, and she was in a little bit of pain. Um, and uh, so they gave her some, they gave her some kind of an incredible pain medicine, which was interesting. Uh, I've never seen my, my wife on real, like, strong pain medicine. Um, she doesn't drink. Uh, she no longer does drugs. Um, but whatever they gave her, like within a minute and a half, her eyes rolled back and like she started looking kind of funny. And then she, she was out. And then I coughed like, <clears throat> like that. I cleared my throat. I was doing something. She why are you being so loud? <laughs> she startled me. And I said, sweetheart, I'm not. I'm just clearing my throat. She said, well, you're being really loud. And I said, I'm sorry. And then the, the guy who's doing the epidural, he comes in. And he's going to give kind of like a, a pre-message, if you will. And she's just like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And she has no idea what's going on. He leaves the room and she goes, why'd you bring all my clothes? Why'd you bring those clothes? And I said, sweetheart, right there. I said, those are the hospital gowns. So she is just in this different state of mind. I mean, just totally. Um, thankfully, they were able to get the liquids and the, the fluids in her and the doctor came and gave the epidural about four o'clock. And then at 5.02, uh, baby Zeke Benjamin Bingham was born at 5.02 a.m. And uh, he's just a beautiful, healthy baby boy. And uh, I'll tell you, everything at our house is different now. You see, that Friday night, we went to sleep as normal as a family of five can be. Anna Claire and Riley at the same school, Anna Claire just started kindergarten and Riley's just started pre-K, little Brooks at two and a half years old. He's at a Mother's Day Out program, and so life was pretty normal. It was kind of a routine for us, and I'll take an opportunity here. We, a lot of you guys have said, Russ, enjoy them while they're young. You know, enjoy those babies while they're young. It, it, it passes so fast. We even, we've had some of our students um, visit, to, even this weekend, um, visit on some college campuses. And, um, you know, you think they go from babies to young adults so fast. Things change so quick. And I'm finding that out to be true. In fact, when Amy woke up and woke me up, I knew at that moment our life was going to be different. I knew at that moment everything was going to change at our house. And, and this morning what I want to look at is the single most important time in all of history and how that single event changed everything. And why? Because of that event, everything is different now. We're going to talk about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to be here till about 6 o'clock p.m., cancel all lunch plans. Uh, we're going to be here and have a good time. So let me pray for us, and, uh, and we'll jump right in. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we love you. And Lord, we, we don't take that for granted. We thank you for loving us in the midst of all of our stuff and in the midst of all of our struggles and our, our sin. Father, we don't deserve your love, but you give it to us anyway. We're going to look at that this morning. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the freedom to come and to gather in the name of Jesus, to be able to hear your word, to be challenged by you, to respond to you. I pray that that would be our hearts this morning, that we would come this morning to be challenged by your word and to leave differently. That when we leave, everything would be different than the way that we came in because of the message of Jesus Christ the gospel, the fact that you loved us, that you reached down from heaven to change us, to change our lives, Father, so that we would know you and live for you. 
God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You got a Bible with me. You're going to be in the, uh, we're going to be in the uh, book of uh, John chapter 20. I tell our students all the time that if you're going to use your cell phone, that's fine. But if I see anybody on Facebook, I'm passing a bucket around and we're turning those cell phones in. Okay. So we're going to be in John chapter 20 and, um, we're going we're gonna to read uh, just uh, the first verse, and then we're going we're gonna to jump back in time. So, John chapter 20. It says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So right away, we see that as, as Mary approaches the tomb where Jesus has been buried, something's different. Something's different. When she gets there, there's not a Roman soldier standing guard. Uh, she gets there and the stone is gone. Why? Well, to get there, we have to back up. The single most important event in the history of mankind is the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything that we as followers of Christ believe and live for hinders on that one event. And so I talk about, I talk about Jesus because that's where it has to start. You think about why, why things are different for us, why things are different for you. If you are a follower of the way, if you know Jesus as your Savior, why is life different for you? And, and if you don't this morning, if you're here this morning and you, you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you're not a follower of the way, then I, I pray you understand that God's brought you here for a reason. That everything can be different for you. That when you leave today, things will be different, in fact. You will have an opportunity to respond to what you hear. You see, the, the cross is a perfect example of God's love for you. In fact, the cross is a picture of God's love for you despite you. It's through the cross that God literally reaches down from heaven and he rescues you. Despite your sin, and what I mean by sin is all the bad stuff that we do and all the good stuff we don't do. I like to say it this way. The things that, that we just miss the mark of perfection. Sin is the things that, that, that we do that just does not honor the Lord. And, and that encompasses everyone. That, that, that's everyone in this room. You see, Jesus said that even, even though you have sin in your life, even though, even though you struggle, even though you uh, were, were liars and, and, and were murderers and were deceivers and were thieves, even though you don't deserve my love, God says, no, I'm going to reach down from heaven and I want you to be a part of my family. I'm, I'm going to adopt you as a son or a daughter and it's going to be through the person of Jesus and it's going to be through what Jesus does on the cross. So the, the cross is just that. It's the picture of God's love and his mercy for us. It's the picture of God's love and his mercy for us. Now, sometimes I think about the love of Jesus. I think about, do we deserve that love? And the answer is simply no. The answer is simply no. Look at what uh, 2 Corinthians verse 5, verse 21 says. It says this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is without sin. We're talking about the Son of God who made a way for us to be right with God. The Son of God taking the place of us. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. We're not our own. We're purchased for a price. See, despite your wickedness, despite the fact, let's be honest, that all of us are drawn to wicked things. 
All of us are drawn to evil things. We're all, we're all drawn uh, to serve ourselves and to seek the things of our own hearts and our own desires. And God still chooses to love us. He knew that we would fail. He knew that we would mess up. He knew that we would need a savior. And so what Jesus does, what God does through Jesus is he reaches down from heaven and he makes a way for us to, to be made right, to be reconciled to him. Guys, that's love. It's the same love that I have for Anna Claire at six years old, as Riley at five, as Brooks at two and a half, and as Zeke at eight days old. I love them despite themselves. So what Jesus does on the cross, he says, I love you despite you, Russ. I love you despite you, church. And all the wrath that should have been poured out on us, was poured out onto Jesus, and he completely absorbed it. He paid the price for our sin so that we would become the righteousness of God. That's love. That despite ourselves, God chooses to love us. He chooses to rescue us. He chooses to reach down from heaven and change everything. And for that, everything is different. Let's jump back to John chapter 20. We're going to read the, the, the following verses, 2 through 18. And, and listen to the, the, the account that we're given. John chapter 20, verse 2, goes on to say this. So she ran and went to get Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. And said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head not lying with the linen cloth but folded up in a place by itself. At this point, things are different. That's not how it was. Now, as soon as Jesus was, was crucified and he was buried, the disciples scattered. And they go into hiding because the man that they had followed, the man that they had given their life, the man that they had, had just left everything in the past for was gone. Everything had changed for them. Everything was different. Their lives had changed. We see that the other disciple who reached that tomb first, he went in, and when he saw what had happened, he believed. What that literally means is he, reconciled, he, he recognized what happened. The scripture says he saw it and he believed that the Lord Jesus who was buried had been raised from the dead, that what, he was, what was prophesied, what was told had come to pass. Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. Now, pick up in verse 11. Back to Mary. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept. And as she did, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain. One at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord. I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Verse 16, Jesus responds, says, Mary. Mary turns and says in Aramaic, Rabbi, which means teacher. At that moment, everything was changed for Mary. She went from a, a, a weeping follower of Jesus to encountering the risen Savior. Man, my mind is blown. She went from uh, uh, being full of heartache and despair to encountering the one true living God. Fast forward. There's a guy named Saul whose chief mission in life, self-proclaimed desire was to destroy the church of God to the point where he was traveling around looking for followers of the way to, to simply bind them and throw them into prison to persecute them because of what they believed. And on the way to Damascus, what happens? Saul is stopped. Scripture tells us in Acts 9 that a great light shone and and something like an earthquake took place. And Paul responds and says, who is that? And he asks the question, Lord, is it you? And Jesus responds, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? There's some guys traveling with Saul that they don't hear anything. They don't see. They're just, they're, they're in awe. What's going on? And Jesus tells Saul, you're going to go to a place and you're going to wait for me. And for three days, he does not have vision. He doesn't eat. He doesn't drink. And at the same time, God appears to another disciple named Ananias. And he says, I want you to go to this place. You're going to look for the man Saul. And and you're going to go and lay hands on him. And Ananias' response is this. Lord, I I don't want to do that. My life would be very different. I've heard of the things that he does. I've heard of the things uh, 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 that, that he has done to other Christians. And God tells Ananias, he is my instrument. He's been changed by me. So Ananias goes, and he, he meets Saul, and he says, I am the one that the Lord has sent. And Ananias places his hands on Saul's eyes, and immediately something like scales fall from his eyes, Scripture tells us. And immediately his strength is restored. He eats, his vision is restored, and immediately he begins to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life has changed. Saul, the persecutor of the church, was changed. And it wasn't just a a heart change. Everything about him changed on the outside too. He, He went into Damascus with the intent to go and to look for followers of the way, to bound them up and to throw them in prison. Instead, his heart is changed when he encounters the one true living God 
And he goes and he begins to preach the message of Jesus and how Jesus had changed his life. And the people there are blown away. They're saying, this is the Saul. This is the, the Saul, the man who persecuted the church. What's going on? This is my, just a simple question to you, church. As you, think about, as you think about your story, as you think about your encounter with the one true living God, how, how would you relate to this? How would you relate to this, this process? You see, Saul, he was converted. His heart was changed and everything outside of his heart, you could see it. His life changed. When I was 15 years old, my chief desire in life was to be able to walk in one of these doors in this room and for you to say, that's Russ Bingham. I know, hey, that's Russ Bingham. Look, that's him. That's Russ. Man, I, I, wanted, to, I wanted to be the guy that when, when, when I walked in, Chris Brown and, and Jason Scott and Steve Dance, they'd be like, oh, that's Russ Bingham. I want to be like him. That, that, that's who I was. I, I was all about Russ. Man, I hungered for acceptance. Popularity was the most important thing to me. And whatever it took to get that, I would do it. And then when I was 15 years old, God got my attention. And it wasn't through a bright light and it wasn't through a a voice. But I recognized my need for a savior. I recognized that I was a sinner, that I was lost, that I was blind. And then I was doing life wrong. Life wasn't all about me. And I was living in the world. One of my favorite scriptures is Romans 12, 1 and 2. And when you read these verses, it's very simple. You're going to see there's a before and an after. Something happens, the old is gone, the new has come. Check it out. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore. By the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Verse 2, therefore don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you will know what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And I want to stay here for just a second. See, I had conformed to the world. I, I was going to all the parties. I was doing all the things I thought I needed to do. And just to, to what? To be accepted. And here's the truth. Every one of us in this room desire that. We just want to be accepted. We want to be liked. We long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We long for others to love us and to like us. And so we're willing to do whatever it takes. Paul says, don't conform to the world. Be transformed. And I love that. It's be transformed. It's not a one-time act. It's a process. And there's hope there. There's hope there because, listen, in a room like this, I guarantee, because I know I'm in the room, there are people who, who struggle with anger. There are people who struggle with fear, addictions, heartache, and heartbreak. Some of you in this room, you're lost. And you're just looking for something different. Some of you in this room, you've placed your faith in Christ years ago, and somewhere along the way, it just it just got just got boring. Now, church, I don't come to you this morning to tell you that I figured it out because I haven't. 
But here's what I do know, is that God's word tells us that we are daily being transformed. That when we seek him, we will find him. That, that he came to give us life and to have it abundantly. That those who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and, and I will give you rest. It's a, a daily process. Think about the cross. Think about Jesus laying his life down. It's the picture of the greatest love ever. And how do we as a, how do we as his child, how do we respond? And the only way that we can with our lives. When Anna Claire was born, our oldest, who's six, we were in Chattanooga at the time, and I remember carrying her in the, uh, the car seat very delicately. I remember doing 10 miles under the speed limit on the way home and just being very careful. And I walked in, and I set her down in the front door there in the hallway, and I said, I looked at Amy. I said, now what? Amy looked at me and said, we live. Now we do life. Here's my challenge and my question for you today. I don't know where you are in that process. I'll be honest. It's not up to me to know. Right? Because the, the truth is, is that we're all in different places, every one of us. And the way we respond is going to be different than the person sitting next to us because we're all in a different place of that transformation. But let's read the last part of that. Why do we want to be transformed? So that we would know God's will for our lives. As a student pastor, that's one of the biggest questions I get asked. I've even talked to some adults. God, what, Russ, what, is, what does God want in my life? What am I supposed to do? Know God. Glorify the Lord. But how do we do that? How do we do that? Look at Galatians 2, verse 20. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So if you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of the way this morning, I don't know where you are in that process. I don't, I don't know if your faith has become dry. I don't know if it's become stagnant. I don't know if it's become boring. But I promise you, God didn't reach out from heaven and say, I want you and my family. I'm going to give you the greatest thing I have. I'm going to give you my son, Jesus, to purchase you, to buy you, to take the place of you. Jesus didn't die for us to be boring. Jesus didn't die for us to, to have a stagnant faith. No, Christ follower. Jesus died for you because he loved you. He gave himself up for you. You were purchased with a price. 1 Corinthians, I believe it's, um, I don't know, somewhere. I'll tell you if you want to know the scripture. It's in here somewhere, but I'm not going to look at the note. It tells you this, that you were purchased with a price. You're not your own. And the next part of that says this. So glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. How do we do that? Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
The only way we can do that is if you're a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, guys, listen, if you don't know Jesus, then this idea of, of, of being changed, this idea of, of being transformed, it's impossible. But the good news is this morning that God so loved you that he sent his son. That whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. And, and I love it. It says, doesn't just say God loved you, Russ. Doesn't just say God loved you, Amy. It said, for God so loved you. There's an abundance of love poured out on you. And so again, I, I tell you, despite your failure, despite how you missed the mark of perfection, despite the fact that you came in this morning living life for yourself, there's a, a hope for you this morning. That if you would believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is God's son and that God raised him from the dead, then you would be saved. You would be a new creation in Christ. The old would be gone and the new would come. And that out of that, out of that, that, that transformation, that, that process that takes place in your heart, it begins to change everything about you on the outside. I don't know where you are. You know, it, it could be for you, your step might be, I just need to make time to be in God's word. I, I'll be honest, Russ, I've been a Christian now for a couple of years, and I just, I don't have any real time for devotion. I'm not really in his word. The only time I get in his word is when I'm coming here. I love coming to church. But maybe for you, part of that process of being transformed is just making a commitment to be in the word of God, even in the morning or in the evening. It, it, it might be. You, you've accepted Christ, you've placed your faith in Christ, but you've not been baptized. And so you need to come and say this morning, Russ, I'll be honest, listen, I know Jesus is my Savior, but I've not made a public profession of my faith. I've not been baptized on this side of my salvation. It may be that, that in your time, in your money, in your resources, you just say, I need to reevaluate everything. If God is changing me on the inside, if, if everything is different now because I know Jesus, then my life has to reflect that decision. And so in the way that you spend your money, in the way that you spend your time, in the way that you, you serve, the way that you speak to your neighbors, maybe those things need to change. I'll share it with you. I, I've got a neighbor. I don't think they're here today. If they are, I'll just talk to you after church. I've got a neighbor who lives behind me, drives me nuts. He parks his vehicles right at the back of my driveway. Okay. And it just drives me nuts. And for those of you who do that, stop. And, and I was preparing for this. this is, listen to how God worked. His daughter, who recently had a baby, lives there. She pulls in the driveway, and I want to go, let me tell you something. You're changing my life. I can't get out of my driveway. She gets out of the car, and I'm like, wait a minute. The world would say to say, look, move your car. I can't get it out of my driveway. But the Jesus follower in me says, love her. The, the Jesus follower in me says, be transformed. Don't be like the world. Don't conform to the world. Be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How does that take place? Guys, we've got to be in the word of God. We've got to hunger for the word of God. We, we, can, we can spend hours watching Netflix. And we can spend hours listening to music. But we get into the word of God and it's like, bleh. I mean, it's just boring. Because the truth is, we've not been transformed. 
We've not made this important. We've not made this important enough. We, we failed to, to come together and meet. And, and I'll tell you, one of the greatest joys I have being on church staff here, serving as the youth and children's pastor, is coming and being a part of this body of Christ. It's one of my greatest joys in life. I love it. I love being a part of a, of a group of believers. And I'll tell you, if, this is, if you're visiting here this morning, the other guy's a lot better than me. Um, but I promise you're going to find a group of people who will love you. They're not perfect. We're not perfect. We're, we're a church of broken people, but we try to be loving and we, we try to pursue Jesus together. We try to be transformed. And there's going to be days, guys, and I know it because I do it. You're going to fall. You're going to mess up. You're going to, you're going to just, I don't care you say the word, screw up, but you're going to mess up really bad, okay? And you're going to think, you're going to throw your hands up and say, I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. God, God, listen, I tried this whole salvation thing. I tried this following you thing. I tried this going to church thing. And here's what I want to tell you. Stop. It's okay. Take a deep breath and say, God, here I am in all my mess. God, here I am in all my, my stuff. God knew you were going to be messy. God knew. He knew it. And he reached down from heaven still and said, I want to change you. Everything's going to be different now. And I'm not telling you everything's going to be, life's going to be easy. It's not. In fact, it's harder. Because I want to yell at my neighbor and say, move your doggone car. I want to say, move your car now. But I can't. Because she knows I'm on staff at a church. More importantly, she knows I'm a believer. And so at some point, I'm probably, I'm, I'm really, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to think about that, how I engage her. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to think about how you engage people. Where are you in that transformation process? How do you speak to the people at work? How do you speak to your family members who, who don't know Christ? How do you speak uh, to, the, to the folks who are on your daughter's team or your, your child's soccer team? How do you speak to them? How do you act during a sporting event? See, guys, the Apostle Paul, he encountered Jesus. And his life was changed. Mary encountered the, the risen Savior. And she went from one thing to another. The old had gone and the new had come. And that can only take place if you know Christ is your Savior. That can only take place if you commit your life and saying, look, it's not about me anymore. I trust in Christ alone. I'm going to ask the band to, to come on up. I just want, want everybody to know it's 15 till, and I did not go long. Get that on message. Get that on recording. Of course, I haven't prayed yet. Um, as the band comes up and they play, um, I, I, I've been down here. I've been down here a few weeks, uh, probably a couple of months, really. And I'm not. I, I want to say this. I'm not bitter at all. I'm really not. But I stand down here, and, and I, I pray for you guys, and I'm thinking about you guys. And I don't know if we've really explained what this time is for. This time after a message while the band comes up, they're not up here to, to just to play a song to look good in front of you. They're not performing for you. It's not about them. It's not about me. It's about you. And it's an opportunity for you to respond to whatever it is that God has laid on your heart. So this morning, I, I've challenged you. I hope, I hope I've encouraged you as well. That if you know the risen Savior, if you know Jesus and he's changed you, everything is different now. And you say, Russ, now what? What do I do? 
If that's the case, what do I do? You live. You do life. And you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all figured out now. But you do have to have a spirit of humility and say, God, here I am. God, I need you to show up and meet me where I am. And God would be faithful to do that if you would ask. So, Christian, what do you need to, what do you need to say to God right now? How do you need to respond? What is it that, that, that you need to respond to? How do you need to change? Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to, to do it on your own strength, but trust in Christ. Allow the, the Holy Spirit that is, is living inside of every follower of Jesus to guide and direct you. For you, non-Christian, you're here and you're hearing these things. My one challenge and question to you is this. How do you respond? I'm telling you that God laid everything down for you with the hopes that you would lay everything down for him. That God laid his son down for you. That he lived and he died and he was raised from the dead for you so that you in turn would respond and say, yes, Jesus. I'll lay my life down for you. I'll give you my life. I'll die to myself because less of me is more of you. Will you join me in prayer? Father, everything's different now. For me and Amy, we've, we've gone from a normal family of five to a crazy party of six. God, for, for Paul, when he encountered Jesus, everything was different from him. For Mary, when she encountered the risen Savior, everything was different for her. God, for me, when I was 15 years old, everything was different for me. I, I, don't know, I don't know where these folks are. I don't know if they heard a voice. I don't know if they had a bright light. I know for Amy, as we were talking, she shared, Lord, that for her, she just heard the gospel and she believed. It wasn't this big aha moment. She just chose to believe that Jesus was God's son and that God raised him from the dead. So she believed. Father, I pray for our people this morning. For those who know you as Savior, God, that they would spend some time this morning thinking about, during our song, how, in, how do they need to change? How do they need to respond in view of what we heard? That in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. What needs to change in our lives? How do we need to depend on you for that change? Oh, God, I pray that we would this morning. I pray that we would depend on who you are in our lives to be changed daily and to remember that it's a process, that we're not there yet, we're not going to be there yet until we stand in your presence. But until that time comes, we're going to pursue you with a reckless abandonment. We're going to pursue you with everything that we have because, God, you gave us your best, and therefore we want to give you ours. Father, for the, the non-believer this morning, this is a time for them to respond and say, yes, I, I want things to be different. I want to start it by professing my belief in Jesus. That I believe that God raised Jesus from the dead and that his death and resurrection proved that he was God. But more so, Lord, that what we deserved was poured out on Jesus and that in him we would be found perfect. Lord, this is the time this morning of this song. I'm going to be up front and Chad and, and, Rain, Chad and Red are going to be on the sides of the room. And, and, and I just, I want to challenge our people this morning. 
Maybe they need to come up and just make this the front couple seats an altar. Maybe they need to, to pray where they are. I, I don't know where it is, but I pray that they wouldn't, they wouldn't be the same. That everything would change, that things would be different. Lord, I shared, I'm not bitter. My, I stand up here and I pray for our church. And the same thing is true this morning. My desire, my heart's desire is to be able to pray with someone. My heart's desire is to see someone come to know you, Lord. And I trust, God, that whatever you're doing, whatever, whatever way you're working in the lives of our people, that our people would respond in obedience. And Lord, what a joy it would be to know about it. What a joy it would be to be able to pray with that person. So during our song, I pray that they would come. I pray that they would respond to you how you are calling them, out of obedience and out of a love for you, Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All of God's people said, amen.